Happy New Year. Man, have you worshiped this morning? I'm just sitting here on the front row, and as we're all singing, I just hear the voice of little children singing praises to God. And I don't even want to look back because I don't want to know who it is. All right? Because I just want to hear it keep coming and coming. So I don't know who exactly it was, but thank you. I've been blessed. I'm going through an identity crisis. We can be honest in church, right? Yeah? I need to tell you that the last time I had a confession to make, I did it in church, and I told you that I was a fan of wrestling. And I tell you that when I left church, that I didn't even make it out the door. I had more people come up to me and share my love of wrestling with me. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but you know you're out there, so we stick together. But my confession this morning is that I am having an identity crisis. It seems like through some changes in life and phases of life, we go through some crisis of identity. Some people say that our identities are formed by the schools that we go to, the books that we read or don't read or the music that we listen to. I grew up in the South. Some of you know that. Somebody said amen. (laughs) And um, now that I'm raising a family and living in Southern California, I'm realizing that if I am going to cheer for the same sports teams that Christian is going to root for, then I'm going to have to rethink some things. Oh, Sylvia says no. We'll talk. I need to know how to do this. Life is about compromises, I'm told. We've all made compromises to to make things work. So I am willing to allow Christian, with your influences, to choose a local hockey team that we can root for and possibly a local basketball team that we can root for. Now, oh, no, 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 Mark says. Are there any Ducks fan here? Any Ducks fan? I see one hand. I see two hands. I see Connor, three hands, kind of. Oh, over here, there's more. All right. So if you think that I should be a Ducks fan, our family should be Ducks fans, come see us. Any Kings fans out here? A little bit more Kings fans, none in the Garden Chapel. All right, so this is going to be a hard one for us. All right, any Clippers fans? <laughs> All right, maybe I should have you guys stand up. Clippers fans, stand up. All right, thank you for being brave. All right, I have to ask this any Lakers fans? All right. Nathan, sit down. All right. I'm sure God loves you. I'm really sorry that they lost to Portland this week. But I'm begging you, stay away from my child. That's all I'm going to say about that. Life is also about boundaries. 
So as long as Christian wants to live under my roof, there are some non-negotiables. One will be that he will graze and thrive and live in Atlanta Braves country. And the other is that um, he will be, thank you, the other is that he will fly high with the Atlanta Falcons. Non-negotiables. I'm glad people find this interesting. <laughs> Many of you have your Sabbath clothes that you come into, and you look great on the first Sabbath of the year. In our family, we not only have our Sabbath clothes, but we also have our Sunday best, and it looks a little bit like this. <laughs> so tomorrow morning, starting at about 9.30 with pregame, you can try calling my house. Someone may answer but it probably won't be me. Grace being the, the great person that she is, she got us all matching jerseys this year. But um, Grace is a fan of the Falcons. She's an enthusiastic admirer of the Atlanta Falcons. Now, if you asked her why she's a fan of the Falcons, it's really simple. And she'll tell you without skipping a beat and just keep going. The only reason I'm a fan of the Falcons is because if they win, my spouse will be happy for a few days. <laughs> That's it. We had people resonating first service, now we have people resonating second service. This should be a support group for you all. Grace is a fan. Christian is a follower in training. I am a completely committed follower of the Atlanta Falcons and the Atlanta Braves. That's it. There's no other way around it. How do you know this? You will know this because if you come over on a Sunday morning and, and I'm watching football, not only will I be watching the game on TV, I will also have my phone, and it will probably go off several times during the morning every time they score. And I have to relive it instantly. So not only did I just watch the touchdown we scored, I get a text update telling me that we just scored. <laughs> and it makes me happy. <laughs> you also know that I'm a com completely committed follower of the Braves because I will drag my child down to Dodger Stadium, risking life and limb, and you know what I'm talking about, and the 10 games. And that's what we do, I think. Or not. That is my... Oh, did it come up now? Okay. That is my identity in the sports world. In the world of sports, I'm a Braves fan. I'm a Falcons fan. I am not a Lakers fan. And that's just the way it is. But what about in the real world? In the real world where some communities say that this year, 2012, is the last year on their calendar. In the real world where national security is simply a pawn on the chessboard of politics. In the real world where gender equality is still an issue that is alive and well, unfortunately. 
in the real world where people still go hungry? What about in the real world? What is my identity? Turn with me to John chapter 6. We're going to pick up the story a little further down in the chapter, but there's been a large crowd of people. The Bible terms them as disciples that have been following Jesus from little community to little community as he's been teaching and healing and doing miracles. John chapter 6. And as he dialogues with these disciples, he asks them to clarify their identity. In verse 26, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Going down to verse 34, sir, they said, Always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. 41. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said I am the bread of life that came down from heaven they said is this not Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother that we know how can he say this how can he say I came down from heaven stop grumbling amongst yourselves Jesus answered your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give you, give for the life of the world. And then they go from grumbling to arguing. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. These Jews, they had grown up generation after generation hearing about all the ways that God had led their people. Their family, 
the miracles that he had done, the manna that he had provided them to eat. This particular group of people, they had followed him from community to community, experiencing miracles, learning from his feet and his teachings, eating with the 5,000 or the 4,000. And now, Jesus goes to the meat of it all and says, I am the only thing on the menu that really matters. And the disciples, they turn away. And they no longer follow. They got to a point where following Jesus was no longer easy. They showed their true identity as fans. Merely enthusiastic admirers of a person, a prophet they called, that gave them something. That did something for them. According to the book Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman, he writes, the biggest threat to the church today are fans that call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to him to get all the benefits, but not too close that it requires anything from them. He continues, too many churches are fan factories that have separated the message of believe from the message of follow. So am I a fan, an enthusiastic admirer, or am I a completely committed follower? Am I modeling a lifestyle for my kids to to be mentored and to watch? where they see someone that truly loves and follows God? Or do I just bring them to church and go through the motions so that they can learn something in church that will nurture them and uplift them for their week? If you want to be inspired and nurtured, go to Starbucks. That's their motto to inspire and nurture the human spirit. That's it. If you get that from a cup of coffee, great. But I think there's something more. Jesus wants to do more than to inspire and just nurture your life. He wants to interfere with your life. And as nice as it is for me to go down and and get my free flavorings and my free refills and be a, Jesus wants more for me than to be a gold member of his fan club. He has another conversation Jesus does with the 12 this time in Matthew chapter 16. Turn with me there. Matthew chapter 16. Verses 13 through 17. Matthew 16, 13 through 17. Jesus is a little frustrated with the 12. They've been living with him, walking with him, eating with him, ministering with him. They've experienced the feeding of the thousands. And yet, 
they're not convicted. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, pick one. And then Jesus asked them something a little bit more pointed. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Now, I imagine that the disciples pause a little bit, not quite sure how to respond. Is this a trick question? What does he want to hear? What am I supposed to say? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. As Peter found out, it doesn't really matter what other people say about Jesus. It doesn't really matter who other people say Jesus is. That moment Peter was, and the 12 were pressed. They were challenged to stop being a fan and clarify their identities. They were all being asked to recognize the Messiah, the living God. If you haven't read this book entitled The Jesus Manifesto by Leonard Sweet, I recommend it to you. It's a great book. In this book, Leonard Sweet puts it this way. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. That's what he was offering them. The bread of life. Sweet continues, God is not so much about fixing things that have gone wrong in our lives as he is about finding us in our brokenness and giving us Christ. Fans often continue or confuse their admiration with devotion, he writes. They mistake their knowledge of Jesus for intimacy with Jesus. Fans assume their good intentions make up for their apathetic faith. So what now as we enter a new year, as we enter together as a church family, 2012? How do we live as completely committed followers of God? I want to invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Paul's writing. 
And this is what he writes. He, meaning Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature. It's a process. It's a journey to be a committed follower. To present everyone fully mature in Christ, verse 29, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. When the only hockey team that you've known growing up leaves town for all places to Winnipeg, Canada, Jesus is still on the menu. When the job that you've been praying about and you interviewed for and and you have been training for doesn't pan out, Jesus reminds us that he is still on the menu. When God has blessed you with your three score and then some years, and you begin to look around and realize that your circle of friends, your circle of trust, is no longer there. Jesus is still on the menu. When the children that you've prayed for from the moment that you found out that you were pregnant are growing up and still searching for the God that created them. And you are praying every single day for them. Jesus is still on the menu. The God that created each and every one of us and the world that we live in reminds us that he is still on the menu and invites us to follow him. Amen. At the end of John chapter 6, after those that were called disciples decided that it was too tough and they left and turned away, Jesus is there with the twelve. And he asks them this. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe. And know that you are the Holy One of God. Father, as we leave this morning, we echo the statements of Peter. Where do we go? We want to live, eat, and drink from the living God.
So lead us in this year, I pray. 